Hello, this is Lisa Wilcox from Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, and Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, along with some other TV shows and films. And I want to welcome you to the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm excited. I'm sorry. I picked this topic. I love this movie. That's a scary movie. It's a scary movie. And it still affects me just the same. I cannot put that on. I gotta tell you, something about this movie worked for me. I was oh, like, it rocked. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's debatable. But, I mean, it's a great movie. That, you know, I, it's my right as a viewer, as somebody who spends my money and time to go watch these films, to have my opinions and be disappointed. But that's what I love about about this group doing this podcast right now is that on so many pages <laughs> we're like right there with each other. But then I mean it, it's it's almost inevitable that uh, you know half the time we're going to go you're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I'm sorry, but that's <laughs> Welcome to the Midwest Monster Podcast. And now, here are your hosts. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts. I am Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Mad Chan! Professor Wagstaff. Good to be with you again. Thank you for tuning in. I uh, just want to encourage you once again, um, if you got a chance on iTunes, uh, go give us a rating, if you will. A rating, write a little review. It really helps out. I've been talking to some other folks that do podcasting and the way that podcasts get exposure is through those ratings and reviews. So if I could implore you to do so, uh, please be a good friend to the show. We know that lots of you uh, do care and enjoy the show, but uh, maybe you don't have enough time. Uh, you're listening to this on the road, and you just don't think about going to give a rating and review. Yeah, so. I mean, it's, it takes just a couple seconds, you know, just drop us some stars on there. And, uh, you know, I mean, we could Adam Green this thing, but, you know, we're <laughs> not going to do that to you guys. Uh, shout out to a couple friends who have uh, good friend Victor. Uh, yep. He used to shop with us yeah. at Sidewalk Music. Uh, Victor is a good friend, loves metal music, loves horror films. We, and uh, he and I talk about guns as well. So, uh, uh, good dude. And I uh, really appreciate his ratings and review on there. And uh, good friend Jason McCullough. Yeah, I noticed um, that. And uh, got on, gave us a good review. And uh, maybe we can someday collaborate with he and his podcast. That could be fun. And that'd be a good time. So, um, oh, and to all the juggalos, thank you. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Speaking of juggalos, tonight we are doing Eli Roth. <laughs> How's that for a transition? Man, blew up the levels there. <laughs> Eli Roth. Talk about a polarizing figure yeah. in the horror community. I mean, up there with Rob Zombie. A lot of people love him or hate him, you know? That's a Jew bear. <laughs> yep. Uh, correction, that's the bear Jew. From <laughs> Inglorious Bastards, yeah. as you all know and love. Um, so... I think I don't. Do we need to give any initial thoughts on Eli Roth, or should we just? I'm. I can. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I the thing that I like about Eli Roth <clears throat> that uh, kind of draws me to him is that he reminds me of a uh, like a Mick Garris. He's the next generation of, of Mick Garris. Whereas in and spoiler alert for my opinions, maybe not all of his films are the best. Sure. But he is an ambassador for the genre. Sure. And he knows 
every single thing about it. I mean, the 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 amount of special features that that guy is in on my Blu-rays is insane. He pops up on everything. And that's what's funny. A lot of people who don't like him want to pretend. Right. That's such a great point. And that's the thing. Like when people pick him apart for these homage movies, it's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like he knows these topics. Yeah. You can have a problem with the movie, but you can't question his authentic love for it. Yeah. Match in. Eli Raphael Roth, born (laughs) April 18th, 1972 in Newton, Massachusetts. No, I mean, Eli Roth is dope. I, I really have. Uh, Cabin Fever is the f- first movie I took my boy to when he was two years old. <laughs> I ain't playing. The, Eli, they, it was the first movie I took my boy to when he was two years old. And, uh, I mean, I, I fell in love with that then. I, I love Cabin Fever. Uh, he's He never fails to uh, put out something that you want to watch, or he puts out something very interesting. Um, he's an homage city, like you were talking about. Like he just knows his craft and knows other people's crafts so well. Um, there's a reason why Quentin Tarantino, people like Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, people, uh, people all over the film industry hold him in such high regard is because he knows his shit. Man. Yeah, and you can't deny that with this guy. Sure, and exactly. much like Quentin Tarantino, he's nerd first. Yeah. Uh, it, Peter Bogdanovich back in the day was the same way. He mm-hmm. basically forged his way into a career by, you know, worship and knowledge of all things film. Yeah. And people gravitated towards it, respected it. And I think to some extent that's what he's got going on. But I think the better comparison is Mick Garris. They sure. remind me each other of each other in a lot of ways. Yeah. Especially with their enthusiasm for it all. Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't care if someone doesn't like an Eli Roth film. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I, I'm, I'm going to say some unkind things about some of them here. Like, you know, if you don't like his films, that's fine, but don't say that he's like a hack. Right. I think it's uh, some insecurities because yeah. he's like the good looking dude. Sure. You can't, because can't he's the possibly the, that he be that he likes these movies. Yeah. Because he's, he's the, the handsome frat boy yep. that just happened to work for trauma. Yeah. Too. Like, yeah, cut that out of his pedigree. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, you're like, oh, I love, you know, like all these terrible trauma films. But then, like, you're like, I, I hate you, like, Roth. Well, he worked for trauma. It don't matter. You yeah. know, like, come on. Give the guy a little credit. Yeah, certainly. So, that being said. Let's start with Cabin Fever. Let's take it to the top of um, his actual directorial. You know, right. that's, that's I think that's where we're going to stay tonight. We'll talk a little Let's bit right about order. Eli Roth Presents. We'll talk a little bit about other films that he's acted in, things he's been a part of. But we're going to kind of stay right there in that realm. Uh, Cabin Fever was 2002, uh, directed by Eli and written by Eli and Randy Pearlstein, starring Ryder Strong, Jordan Ladd, James DeBello, Serena Vincent, Joey Kern, and Giuseppe Andrews. Yeah, we love Giuseppe Andrews. Love Giuseppe Andrews. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Why'd you make me feel weird there? (laughs) Cabin Fever. A fun little film about students getting away on... I mean, it's supposed to be spring break, right? I think they just graduated. Oh, okay. It's certainly the fall when they get to the woods. Yeah. <laughs> because of the leaves on the ground. They're wearing some sweaters. But they also go swimming. Yeah. It's a little continuity error. Maybe as a joke. I don't know. What do you think? I think they only had a certain amount of time to film it. <laughs> they had sure. to do it when they had to do it. But going back, I realized... like. Things that I picked out is like errors before in the past. 
now like seeing more of his films i wonder if they were like deliberate jokes or all right, all right. you know what i mean which he does a lot yeah, of sure sure can uh let's just start out right from the gate here to say that even with this first film eli roth's movies are so much about foreshadowing Mm-hmm. Like certainly every movie like he does heavy foreshadowing which it takes me the second time around because i'm not looking for it the first time around right, right. You just enjoy second time, time around i'm watching it and i'm like oh my god he told us what was going to happen in the last act of the film yeah in the first act of the film like in this John, movie this movie specifically when you have the james DeBello character he looks at uh, joey kern you know and he was just like i'm not gonna drink anything but beer man i guarantee because we know that the water's poisoned yeah. You know, so he's like, hey, look, this is the way we're getting around this. Just little, little things like that. And, you know, I like it. So this group of uh, teenagers, are they high school graduates or college graduates? I think they were college because they seem yeah, to be older. Oh, yeah. If they can go buy beer, they're college. Yeah. So um, they're going they're out. They're getting bastard ale, by the way. That's right. They're going out to spend some time in the woods, in the cabin. Perhaps a little cabin in the woods film coming up for us here. Um, they go and uh, just a little hijinks ensue here and there. And as we've already said, we find out that the water is infected with a flesh-eating virus. And uh, they start turning on each other. They start uh, feeling the effects of it. It's such a fun movie. You guys want to speak up on this book report? <laughs> oh, I was um, waiting. I was, just, I, I was listening. I was enthralled. I can remember this kind of dusting the cobwebs off of the genre for me. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I was still watching horror movies, but this, I remember kind of, kind of, um, kind of fuel my enthusiasm. I remember watching this freshman year of school up here in Muncie. Um, yep. And it kind of harkened back to older things that I knew and loved. Um, and it seemed like a nice departure, um, from, you know, kind of the nineties horror and what was left over that early in the decade following i have fond memories of it Uh, really the only interesting thing i kind of questioned this go around i was thinking would i like this as much if it came out right now great question and i don't know that i would Um, same thing so but it doesn't matter because it did came it came out when it did and i loved it then and so whether it's nostalgia or just authentic um i still enjoy it it's a lot of fun it's it's layered Almost, you know, from credit to credit with, you know, homages and references to other classic horror, all while being its own thing. Beat for beat, people were having fun with it sure. and, and kind of being entertained. Um, and, it, you know, it still holds up really well, which I almost find kind of relieving mm-hmm. for something that I remember enjoying so much back then. I'm glad that I don't watch it now and it kind of sucks. I think it still holds up. I'm always kind of shocked by some of the flack that it gets, but I think... You know, as we go through this episode, we'll kind of keep going back to that, which is where I think a lot of people just kind of don't like him and yeah. are kind of unfair to his movies. And because they're hating. Of it. Yeah, it's not even don't like, it's a hating thing. I really feel like it's a hating thing. Yeah. Too. So, but yeah, no, with this, I mean, we can obviously, well, I'm guessing we'll go over some highlights of it. But, you know, I like I like the idea of classism that, that this kind of deals with and how these kids are kind of carryovers from 90s youth and how you know, little shitheads they are to the locals. Right, right. And and how the locals view them and how, you know, they're almost like inhuman. Yeah. Like they, they just don't care about them. Right. You know, like when the shit gets going, you know, they don't think twice to come out there and deal with it. Right. 
So, yeah, I think that there's some some heavy subject matter. I think there's some great special effects, some great early hijinks, party fun. It's just it's a fun movie. Yeah, for sure. Can we talk about how awful that blonde dude's hair was? Oh, Joey yeah. Kern? Yeah. Man, terrible. It was awesome, though. Terrible. Uh, man, can we talk about Dennis out on the out on the porch swing? <laughs> Everybody knows. Don't know what the professor break. said. I see several, and this is by no means about that guy, but I mean, I see several movies a year in the theater, and I couldn't really tell you many other I saw in 2002. I can tell you for sure I know I saw Cabin Fever because I it was one of the movies that brought me back. I'd been away from the theater for a couple of years because we worked there, and then um, after high school graduation, I kind of moved away from that, went into a big boy job, quote-unquote, started my family, quote-unquote, and... Uh, but this was a movie when I saw the previews for it. I was like, I have to see this. And I'm glad I did. I mean, I really enjoyed this movie then. I, and watching it again for this episode, I've seen it several times since. But watching it for this episode, it was it still holds up to me. Yeah. Like, I like it. Like, uh, every single time I see the leg, the, the single time I see Ryder Strong, and this is a crude way, but every time I see Ryder Strong, for all intents and purposes, Phil Jordan lad up under the covers and pull his hand back. It's just as effective, man. Still instills a sense of dread. Yeah. Um, Sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, I still, I, I do agree with the Professor. Like, I wonder if it came out now, how I'd feel about it. But when it came out, when it did, it was perfect. It was a breath of fresh air. And the trailers for it were so good. The trailers made it look a yeah. lot more ominous and less comedy, which is fine because it's it's definitely not a horror comedy, but it's got a lot of laughs. A lot of laughs. Certainly. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite lines in the film is, uh, so the, the guy from the woods that uh, DeBello accidentally shot, Yeah, when he comes to the door and is like, I need help, and then he realizes, you're the one that shot me. He goes, you shot me. You shot me, and DeBello shuts him out. No, this dude's fucked up, man. Don't let him in, you know? Um, then they proceed to set him on fire. And one of my favorite lines today, when... Uh, they're all processing what happened and Ryder strong and Jordan lad, who are the more level headed ones of the group are dealing with it. And Jordan lad says, uh, you know, he's like, we're going to get help Karen, you know, don't worry about it. And she says, that man needed our help. And we lit him on fire. (laughs) Makes me laugh every time. I just wish, I I mean, where do you find yourself in a life situation that you'd ever say that that man needed our help? And we lit him on and fire. Him on fire. <laughs> Friends, I don't want to rush us, but we've got a lot of films to get through. Um, let, let's let's like let's get through this one um, and say what we got to say about it um, without getting too deep. Okay. Um, <laughs> I you know I, it still holds up. I like it. I wish it had a little bit more scares put into it yeah. to balance out with the gore and the camp and the humor. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't matter in the end. I still enjoy it. Um, I like the references all through it. I think that's fun to go back and rewatch. It just kind of sets the tone with total Texas chainsaw. Yeah, with the swinging, shot. Yep. The swinging ass shot up on the house yep. that sets itself there. Uh, the evil dead camera work racing through the woods up towards the cabin, uh, A shining reference in the hospital at the end. Yep. The, uh, night of the living dead ending yep. with the guy that, you know, yeah. we think has made it and yep. Gets it from the locals. So, I mean, it's just, uh, from start to finish, it's still a fun movie. It holds up well. 
And the interesting thing to explore, I think, as as we do this episode, is did his movies change or did we, at least for me, as we go along? Because there is certainly a pattern, sure, for the most part, with the films as they go along. Because as you know, you're the party man. Yeah, you're the yeah, party man. You're the party man. Don't forget man, Dr. Mambo. Oh, yeah. Eli Roth. Which, doesn't he make an appearance in 2001 Maniacs, Heck which yeah. he produced? Yep. Yeah, Dr. Mambo. I didn't M- know he produced that. Yeah, he produced that. Nice. Dr. Mambo and him are out on the road, aren't Eli they? Eli Roth with his dog, Dr. Mambo. Uh, yeah. The goddamn soul patch. I love it. Oh, Dude, he's he so lo- good. He looks like such a fucking... Oh, my God. He pops <laughs> up. He's like, oh, so I can't have a beer. I guess to take all this weed with me then. And you're d- it's just as stereotypical. Sure. And you're just like, oh, right on. We're just playing into all that shit right now. Kids are getting drunk. Now there's pot. The people have already hooked up. It's kind of that. Grim. Right, right, right. Name. It's like, here we go, man. I also like that Giuseppe Andrews refers to Jordan Ladd as his lady friend. <laughs> just want to throw that out there. a lady friend? <laughs> and when she comes out, yeah. she's like, what's you up? And he's like, don't worry. Get you, get you a 40. It's like, what I the wrote hell that down. Hold on a second. <laughs> it's so good because it's intentionally yeah. silly. Yeah, it's ridiculous on purpose. And like, that's yeah, everything's fine. Go back inside. Have yourself a big 40 and have a good time. I always wonder too when they're out at the lake if there's any there's a feeling of the raft from Creep Show even though they don't go anywhere near that it always makes me think of it right sure it's uh, yeah they're isolated out there by themselves yeah 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 it almost seems like the improper time of year to be out there it just Uh, has that feel my favorite part of this is I you know we we grew up with Ryder Strong I know you guys saw that Boy Meets World TV show of course but we grew up with Ryder Strong and at a certain point in this movie Ryder Strong turns into a stone cold killer yeah like he's murdering everybody at this point like anybody that gets in his way his friends the woman he loves the woman he fucked like he's scared no way the dog gets hurt but I mean he's literally laying into everybody at a certain point in this and you gotta admit that scene where he's up there and he pokes the body with the stick I was like, what is this, man? Is this boys in the hood? Is this stand by me? Get off there. Right. And he just literally falls in and gets infected. I was like, this is dumb, dude. Yeah. Um, that's only because we know what it's about. Sure. Sure. Uh, and we have to mention, you know, we, we've talked about Dennis, the little kid, the little toe-headed mullet kid. A weird little boy. Uh, the shop owner and, and then the old man. Yeah. <laughs> Uncomfortable. What's the, what's the raccoon piss for? What's fox piss for? Foxes. That's for foxes. Yeah. What's the rifle for? <laughs> That's <laughs> for inwards, he says. And you're like, whoa, whoa. This Watch film it. is going there that quick? Watch it that again, dude. I laughed at that. Dude, at the end, the the, uh, the three black the three black characters walk in and they're just like, hey. And he's like, hey, man, I got that gun all polished up for you. Here you go. Hey, what's up, my ends? Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> and they're just they're just throwing the N word around as, yeah, as like a fun friendship thing, and it's a fun ending there. And then you get the, uh, oh, what would that be a reference to? The ending where you find out they're shipping the water across the country. Oh my god! I mean, it's very uh, maybe like the stuff, maybe yeah. you know, something like that, where you find out that the product is is going everywhere. It could be a cabin fever, though. Yeah, just put that out there. We always try to find other movies it relates to. It's Eli Roth. He did it. Maybe it's his own. Yeah. He shipped it. He shipped his own water. Sure. Okay. So that, everything's be that wraps up for Cabin Fever. Let's jump oh, into the next one. Wow. Sorry. Oh, I mean, do you want to talk another half hour? Oh, you want to get going? I love Cabin Fever. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, next up, I think we're going to talk about Hostel 2005, written and directed by Eli Roth, starring Jay Hernandez, Derek Richardson, 
Ethor, Barbara, and Rick Hoffman. Okay. And uh, <laughs> this is a, uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie, the first time I saw Hostel and the last time I watched Hostel a couple of days ago, same feeling every time. Feeling a dread. Like that whole second half of the movie just has, the first half of this movie is a teenage wet dream, a frat boy's wet dream. We're in Amsterdam, we're, we're smoking pot, we're sleeping with hookers, we're, or pro- whatever, prostitutes, sorry. Yeah. If you're a prostitute, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you a hooker. Really? But, you know, we're sleep. no, but they're out there, they're partying, they're having such a good time, and uh, then they go to this hostel, they're, they sleep with these, these beautiful women, you know, like, it, and this movie just stops on a dime, makes a right turn into horror. Yeah. And... Wow, I mean, it really does, man. Like that that first scene, the first torture scene that we see with uh, Josh, with uh, Derek Richardson, man, when he cuts his Achilles, oh man, every time, brutal. Still, still, I've seen it five, six, seven, eight times now. Every time he cuts his Achilles and he tries to take that first step, I'm done. Discuss. Sorry. So I like I. I'm not jumping the gun here, but I'm just gonna say. In rewatching Hostel One and Two for this episode, when I was on the, you know, that young frat boy kind of guy, twenty twenty one, yeah, yeah. So what year did it come out? Oh no, wait. So two thousand five. So you were, you were twenty five at this. I just graduated from college. Right. Um, and uh, so when I when this came out, I loved Hostel One and didn't like Hostel Two. Right on. Now as an adult revisiting both of them, I think Hostel 2 is a better film. And we'll talk about that when we get to Hostel 2. But Hostel 1 almost wasn't the movie for me anymore. Just almost wasn't it. Um, That being said, it's not a bad film. And it's fun and it's creative and it's interesting. Quentin Tarantino presents because Quentin Tarantino supposedly saw this ad for a similar situation like Hostel where you could go kill people. That's the rumor. Um, do you know that? No. Yeah, that's the legend. That's where this came from. Tarantino saw this online, passed it on to Eli Roth. They went back to look for it. It was gone. And that's where the idea for the movie came from. Wow, I did not know that. Um, so, don't get me wrong. Hostel is still on Blu-ray on my shelf. But it's I'm not going to watch it much. Well, I think the reason I—I I mean, the reason I wouldn't watch this again, like, because I watched it a bunch in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I watched it. I saw it uh, theaters. I saw it, you know, first DVD release. Seeing a few times with people with Hot Toddy, you know, over the years. I haven't seen it probably in a good five, seven, you know, for a while. It's been a few years, <coughs> and watching it again, I think the reason I won't go back to this movie a lot isn't because it's a bad movie or anything. I wouldn't go back to this movie because the sense of dread mm-hmm. as an adult that I get that like, I didn't feel for that kid before I was in it to watch cool special effects, which still hold up. I was in it to watch uh gore and horror and which still hold up. But the sense of dread, like we've, we've talked several times. We were talking about like, even in the wicker man and stuff, like when Jay Hernandez gets drug off, after seeing what's happened to everybody else in this movie, you feel like there's no hope for this kid. Sure. And you start to be, it goes from fun watching neat, gory effects to an uneasy feeling like, oh God, what, like we're on this ride now. Like yeah. we're in this. 
Yeah. Because everybody, the, every friend he had in this foreign land turned against him. Sure. Like, I'm going to put out there that Eli Roth single-handedly is trying to fuck up all my dreams that I might have for vacations. <laughs> sure. I can't go overseas. You, I don't want to go get a cabin in the woods. I'm never going to go visit the rainforest. <laughs> Hell, he even ruined the idea of a threesome with two hot, strange girls. Like, Eli Roth single-handedly is just like, Ruining it. Yeah, dog. Like, you ain't going to do anything. You're going to be a good Christian and go to church every Sunday because you do anything outside of that. I'm going to punish you in a bad, bad way. I love this movie. Real quick premise for the people listening. If they haven't seen it, it's, uh, uh, you know, these guys. But fine. And it's a total European mockery of yeah. the American stereotype. Like, yeah. making fun of the American stereotype. But then they find out, as the, the creepy little guy tells them, the hottest chicks are in Bratislava. Yeah. Isn't that where he sends them? Yeah. The Czech Republic? Yeah. Yeah. Or Slovakia. Anyway, Slovakia. 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 Hottest chicks are in Slovakia. And so they go to this hostel in Slovakia. And what's waiting on them? And they, they go in their room, and there's already, like, naked European chicks in their room. Right. And it's all a setup. Um, and then there's a, a love scene where they hook up with these chicks to the music from The Wicker Man. Yep. Of old boy when uh, Britt Eklund is trying to seduce him. It's that music, which is a genius, mm-hmm. genius reference on Eli Roth's part that I only caught this time. Um, so, but then, of course, as we said in the setup, they, you know, it's all part of this town working together to take young tourists, American or not, the Asian ones were in, yeah, yeah, yeah. were getting taken too, and sold to the highest bidder to be murdered. Right. I think the one of the things about this specifically is. Um, when they walk in, when they first walk into the room in the hostel, the in the we see a reflection in the mirror of the two girls, the two young girls that are roommates with them, getting or in various levels of dress, you know, in bras with or no shirts on or whatever, getting ready to leave. And then there's a scene later where Jay Hernandez is like, "Hey, I didn't check out. Why do you think I checked out? I need a room." And Jay Hernandez walks into a room, the room that he was previously staying in, and now there's two brand new hot, young, attractive women in various stages of undress doing the exact same thing as before. And it kind of gives you that insight, like, this is our hook. Yep. You see us, hey, come hang out with us. They're already inviting. I mean, there's a lot of thought that was put into the way things run here, dude. It's terrifying. Right. To And to think, like, we don't know. You know, we're here. So I think it's that, that fear of the unknown, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Over there somewhere, this could be happening. Sure. I think that's neat. Professor. I think that uh, this is the closest thing to, which is kind of ironic because he did a kind of a tribute movie to them later. But I think this is the closest thing that uh, our generation will get to like a cannibal holocaust. Cannibal yes. Ferox, in a way that uh, those movies really aren't going to exist anymore with the censorship isn't the same. The exposure to these films isn't the same. Sure. But to some degree, I feel like this was passed around by younger people. Yeah. Because, like, we can reflect on this now, what, 12 years later? Sure. This was a big deal when this came Absolutely. out. Absolutely. This was, like, you know, shocking. Uh, I quite, loved it when it came out. Yeah, quite a thrill ride to go yeah. to. Um, I think that it's very interesting to look at it from the sense of the post-9-11 era with kind of xenophobia and a very dark and cynical approach to this it's just unpleasant right kind of to humanity and i think that that's because of what had transpired 
that's why this movie exists. Post 9-11, we had been convinced that everybody else hated us. Right. And on top of that, we fuel in the over-the-top American arrogance of these guys because we make them very easy to watch get killed. Sure. Because let's be honest, they're shitheads. Yeah. I mean, we watch them be disrespectful all over the countryside. To everybody. Just trying to bang out anything they can. Everybody's a faggot. Everybody's, you know... Whatever. Yeah. They're just, they're not good kids. Now, no. that doesn't mean they deserve to die, obviously. No, no, but... no. That's what you're condoning. <laughs> yeah, moment. I heard that. I heard but that as now. a viewer, it's very easy to kind of detach from them. Um, I think this still holds up really well. Um, I like the idea of, uh, and this is what we talked about in The Wicker Man, where you have forces bigger than you all working together to end you for yeah. their cause. Yeah. And that is very scary. And I think it plays in, especially at the time to Americans fears, which to some extent are still there and traveling overseas sure. after some of these events and, and terrorism. And for that matter, human trafficking, which still is a very real thing. And so I think that this kind of played on contemporary fears, whether they directly were the, that was the point of the film or not, they tied into it. Uh, but with, the way the film was laid out in terms of terms of like the the first act being just a romp and kind of fun, yeah, and it being uh, kind of titillating, sensational, it still holds up with the entertainment value. But yeah, I mean, once we've figured out what the outcome and fate is for these guys, it's really scary because you think like, what if I ended up there? Yeah. Now, I would like to think that if I went over traveling, that I wouldn't treat people like that, right. and I would respect what I don't know around me. And right. that I am a guest there. But I can still find myself in a hostel. And don't forget, the sweet, innocent Asian girls got taken too. Yep. And so it's not just about being a shitty person. It's just about wandering into an area in many ways. Um, and I think that that's incredibly effective. Because at that point, you realize, like, this dude's got nowhere to go. Like, he is straight out in the middle of nowhere getting ready to get killed. And everyone within how far is going to help. To make sure that happens. Yeah, right. Because by you coming here and staying at the hostel, they're making money there. And there's all these different ways. By you being here to kill, they're making boatloads of money. These people are to kill you. Like well, you, your death is functioning this community. They're going to make sure you die. And it's kind of like, you know, how many horror movies have we watched where somebody picks you up on the side of the road? Mm-hmm. Get me out of here. And they drive you right back. Yeah, to where it happened. Right. Well, and it's the reverse, too. Uh, you find out as you go to more tourist towns, um, like when I went to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, it's the exact opposite. The whole town is in on protecting you because you're the money source. Yeah. So they're not going to let any disgruntled locals mess with you. I mean, there's cops on every other corner. Right. Because you're the one bringing money into yeah, the city. They need you to come This is a reverse things. technique. They need you yeah, to they, come here so they, they can kill your, your ass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. See there, and you were talking about the uh, the way that the the kids acted. You know, the uh, our main characters acted. Um, we get to kind of see that carry over into the American client, the the guy the uh, that was doing the killing. You know, he comes in. He's like, "Hey, man, how'd you do it? What'd you do? Did you do it fast? Like he just had this over the top. Do it, do it, do it. I'm better than you. Let I'm gonna." I paid money. I'm going to fucking kill somebody attitude. And he, I mean, it was a good character. It was a neat character to watch, but at the same time, it's like, is that like you said, it's like, is that how the rest of the world sees us? Sure. Cause this guy literally walks in the door and he sees another guy. He's like, Oh, American. Tell me, tell me 
what'd you do? Did you do it quick? I'm going to do it quick. Here's my gun. You know, like that character just immediately leads you into all these other stereotypes of what these people would think we are. Yep. And so you've got the young kids that are, you've got the young kids who are like, Oh, I'm going to sleep with this. I'm going to snort this. I'm going to smoke this. Then you've got this older guy with money. Who's like, Hey, I'm going to kill everything that moves, you know, like sure. that was a neat, that was a neat transition. I really like that, man. Yeah. So wrapping it up. So we can oh, okay. On. Okay. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean, um, Oh, but I think the, it is that it is that sinking feeling when you find out that they're all in on it. That was a great feeling of dread, mm-hmm. similar to Wicker Man, as we talked about. Very entertaining uh, escaped escape attempt. Sure, yeah. sure. My, you know, as we go through that, that's that's still very entertaining. I and, love uh, I love the kids. Yeah, yeah. At the first, the, like the kid, kid gang, like the little kid gang, is like a bunch of jerks, mm-hmm. but then he pays them to help them. Oh, dude, with the the skull caving in. Oh yeah, that's the, that was brutal, yeah, son. Yeah. Um, what about how he had to hide under his dead friend? Oh. Messed up. That still resonates with he me. He looks up. He sees his buddy sitting there, his lifeless eyes staring back at him. The guy's over here chopping body parts up. Dude, that was brutal. Bro. Seriously. Well, and I just want to say, too, that I think there's an interesting comparison to classism again mm-hmm. with kind of that one percenter mentality. Yeah. You look at these filthy, rich white guys showing up to slaughter people for their entertainment. Doesn't matter. They're getting their jollies, ending lives, and it doesn't matter to them. And I, th- I think that's kind of interesting. Sure. I don't know if that's really the point of what Eli Roth was doing, but it's certainly there. <laughs> Message. Yeah. Message. Well, the other thing about this is <laughs> that we find out in part one and part two is uh, in both movies, the circumstances were, hey, you can go about your trip. You can go to the place that you planned on going, and we'll leave you alone. But if you'd like to participate in our debauchery, if you'd like to sleep with these girls, if you'd like to do these drugs, if you'd like to have the best time of your life, take a detour here. Go off the beaten path. Exactly. And then the second in the second movie, which we're segueing into, the same thing with the girls. Well, hey, we're actually supposed to be on our way here. Yeah, but all you have to do is take the train from there to here. And they're like, let's do it. Like, it's always that, oh, man, like. Oh, uh, you want to have the ultimate European adventure? Let's do it. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, I like that. I, I, I like the end scene. I thought the end scene was real good when he find when Jay Hernandez gets his little little slight piece of revenge mm-hmm. on the asshole in the toilet. I oh, thought that was fun. Uh, you mean salad fingers? <laughs> Edward salad fingers? Is that Milton from the office from Office Space? Was that him? No, 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 no. Okay, okay. That's Stephen Root. Should we? Hustle 2 is 2007, written and directed by Eli Roth, starring Laura German, Heather Matarazzo, sorry, I can't, uh, Buju Phillips, Roger Bart, Richard Berge, Jay Hernandez, and Vera, or is it Jordan Nova? I think it's Jordan Nova. Sure. Uh, she played Excel. This is awesome. Um, yeah. Continuity. Uh, was... Good continuity, ending part one and starting into part two. Yeah. What year did you say this was? 07? Yeah. Okay. Two years later. Um, good continuity from... Oh, and even bring back Jay Hernandez. Yeah. Who thought he got away. Wrong. Wow. Yeah, part of him did. Yeah. Part <laughs> of him did. Um, so uh, we cut to these girls studying abroad. Where are they at? Where are they studying abroad? Italy? Yeah. I think they were in Rome. Yeah. yeah. They were in Rome for the painting thing in the beginning. Sure. Um, I forget where they were headed. 
maybe yeah. Barcelona or something. And that was just a trip, like because I think they were based out of Rome, and they were yeah, like, oh, yeah, they were just going different places. Yeah, yeah. Because we find out that the one girl is Bill rich Felix. enough to buy this whole damn country. That's right, as good old Bijou Phillips tells us. <laughs> um, so She's married to Danny Masterson, by the way. That's neat. Um, any initial thoughts? I already said mine earlier about this. I think this might be now as an adult again. I didn't care for this film when I was uh, 25, okay? But now, rounding out to 35, I feel like this might be a smarter film. Not oh, yeah. a better film. Yeah. A smarter film. And I enjoyed it a lot more this second time around. Well, I, I enjoy callbacks a lot. So we go to the same hostel. Uh, this just happened to Jay Hernandez, not in the not-too-distant past. Uh, we see him. We catch up with him. Shit happens. Things go down. Our girls end up at the same hostel. They walk in. Pulp Fiction is still playing on the fucking TV. Yep. Um, they're lured into the same type of place. I mean, it's the same place. I right. mean, yeah, it's the same place. And I think that's uh, that's one of the interesting things. We got the same characters kind of roaming around. You know, the guy who plays it, the guy who's um, the like the works the door, the desk. Or, yeah, the desk, yeah. the desk clerk. And I think that's interesting. It shows you that this is the same world. Yeah. So that immediately puts you back uneasy because we just saw what happened when the last group of guys were here. And now this is uneasy. But the thing I love about this movie, you said it's smarter, is we get to go behind the scenes of the club. And the girls check in. He immediately takes their uh, passports downstairs, scans them in, takes their photos, pops them up on the Internet. And I think the bidding scene is one of the most brilliant things Eli Roth could have done. Yeah, we I get agree. a peek into this is how this works. You get to see different rich guys from all walks of life, all nationalities. They're, at once, they all get this thing that pops up on their phones, and they all immediately start bidding on these girls. Yeah, and the thing about it is, more than half of them that they showed were living these normal lives they were with their kids they were with their wives they were in the middle of their office building like there wasn't any just freaky dude they were on the golf course there weren't just like any freaky dudes hanging out in a room torturing people it was all hey this regular cats yeah and that's i think that's what made it so much smarter is like we played we got to see both sides of the fence this time yeah sorry this was better than i remembered it being yeah i still don't like it better than the first one myself Uh uh-huh um, mainly because while I do agree that they took some smart approaches to this film, the problem for me is the questions that they answer. I didn't want to know the answers to. Okay. okay. That's, that's fair. Part of what was scary to me in the first one was the, how expendable and cold and efficient it was as a business. And I, I just, me personally, I really didn't need to see the bidding process and what the killers go through. Now, with that said, because that's where we are, I think it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's interesting, the roles that we have between our two American businessmen that we yeah. follow yeah. and how that pans out and how, you know, that can be applied to a lot of things with, you know, machismo and, and how American men carry themselves and how so many of them are full of shit. Yeah. And, the tough guys yeah. are not so tough. Yeah. The, the ones, ones who, who put it at the forefront. Are insecure, mm-hmm. and you know you got to worry about the stewards of the world. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I do certainly think there were some interesting things uh, in this film, um, but yeah, it was definitely a, a more enjoyable view for me than I remembered. Because 
back then when I saw this, I just thought, man, this wasn't as fun. No, oh, yeah, the first one. I agree. And we're like exploring into more specific details of the business side of this. And it's got the girl from Welcome to the Dollhouse. Yeah. And this is just not as fun. But I've come around on that um, with this viewing. This is only the second time I watched the film. I watched it when it came out. And then I watched it for this. And I thought, you know, this is. This, it was much more entertaining and satisfying than I remembered it. Yeah. That being said, I still think in the long run, you know, 20 years from now, Hostel will be the one that gets played at sure. midnight sure. and very sparingly will it be for with part two. But yeah. I, you know, I respect the, what you guys are saying about it though. It's, it's got some intelligent angles on it. A couple of things I want to point out. Uh, the, the guy that Bijou Phillips is dancing with is Stanis, Stanislav Yavanovsky. He played Victor Crumb in the Harry Potter movies. I didn't know that because I, hmm. you know, I'd seen this and yeah. then um, thought he looked familiar, so I looked it up. It's right there on the IMDb. Um, I love the bathroom, the bathtub scene, and the, the thing. Bathory. Uh, yes, yeah. the bathroom. Bizarre, right? And uh, after seeing Heather uh, Matarazzo and every other thing, the the Princess Diaries, Sorority Boys, things like that, it was weird to see her naked, hung upside down, and being yeah. tortured because. <laughs> I didn't know her that way. I didn't see her that way. Well, up, that's so. the next point I was getting ready to make. Also, just showing kind of the depth of Eli Roth to take Matarazzo, who right. was famous for that for Welcome to the Dollhouse, yeah. right? And then to take Bijou Phillips, right? You take from Bully and you know just all of the weird genre films she had done before, um, and then to put them in this movie, it just showed that Eli Roth was like you know nudge nudge wink wink like I know the people on the indie circuit too. You know right. what I mean? I'm going to make a big budget movie, right. but right. pulling these people in. Yep. Uh, yeah. One thing I did have That's to say is point. they didn't have to shoot the little kid, man. That's uh, bullshit. I think that was a little, I think that was a little too. Ass. That was unnecessary. Yeah. I like that the kid gang is back. Yeah. The kid gang is back. Right. Um, did anybody else notice? I'm going to blow your mind here. <laughs> so listen to this. When they're at that hot springs. Yeah. And she comes out and it's empty. And she walks through those two steel beams, and it looks just like the beams from Phantasm. <laughs> right into this, another. The rods. Yeah. And it was like it was like she was entering into that. an alternate area. Yep. You know what I mean? I can dig it. All right. All right. I want to make sure I wasn't the crazy one. <laughs> um, yeah, so I like, Matt Chan, I'm in agreement with you. I like, what I liked about this film was the same thing you liked. I love the bidding. I love seeing behind the scenes. And then as uh, Professor chimed in, I love that, like, the douchey macho guy was the wimp, yeah. and then the quiet guy was the sicko. And um, it, that scene was just amazing because he's sitting there like ha ha, and he's jumping in her face in Bushy Phillips' face, Bushy Phillips' face, and then he acts. His cord comes unplugged, and he accidentally cuts her in the face. Like how scalps her, freaks out, and oh oh, you got my money. I'm done. I'm done. And goes into the you know goes and inevitably gets his ass ate. But that was the guy. That was the the big swinging dick. You know, hey, I brought you here. We're gonna do this. Yeah. And I I, I really like the way they did that, man. By the way, can I point out that Todd kept offering Stewart an out? He's yeah. like, we don't have to. And then he'd yell at him. Yeah. It's like, how many times are we gonna do this, Todd? Todd's like, look, man, we want, we have to do this. We have to. No, I paid for it. Yeah. It's like, quit offering the guy the option of not doing it if he doesn't want to, and then screaming at him. Yeah. Um, that was great though, man. The the flip on that when they got behind yeah. closed doors. Whew. So what'd you guys Sinister. think about my boy Riguero Diodato 
Huh? Where's he pop up? He's the guy that's eating the guy that's in the room. Oh. They come up to the door and they're like, hey, we got a special going on right now. And he's like, no. And he goes back with the knife and the car, okay. the carving knife. And I didn't realize that was him. That's for Gary. Hey, that's awesome. Further love and obsession. Sure. Oh, dude. That's awesome. First convention I ever went to, he was there. Yeah. And he took a photo of me. And because I had on a Punisher t shirt yeah. and he thought it was visually interesting. Yeah. And he was like, oh, oh. And the lady was like, can he take a photo of you? And he had just been taking photos of people all day because it was his first U.S. convention. Oh, cool. So he just took the pictures of people he thought were visually interesting. And I'm sure I was one of several hundred because sure. I had on like cool Punisher shirt. Right. You know, but he that was so neat. And just to see this cat pop up, you talk to him. I've met him three times now. And uh, you see that cat pop up out of nowhere. And he just sits over there and he's eating somebody. I was like, oh, this is brilliant. Dude, that's that's the way to do it. dude. Yeah. That, was, that was awesome. Very cool. So you want to talk about how this uh, how this thing starts to wrap up? I mean, you guys, we're always Who promoting wants to talk you watch about the these. Ending? Who wants to talk about these? So I love the fact that she buys herself out. Yeah. I do. She, yeah. She's just like, I have enough money to buy you and everything in here. And I'm just like, right on. Because in reality, if if I was in that situation, I'd somebody was like, thing. I'm, like, somebody I'm rich. Like, I'm rich. I'm rich, bitch. If somebody was like, look, man, I'll give you whatever money you want. Oh, you gonna ask mommy and daddy? Nah, bitch, I got the money. You just tell me where it goes. Of course, you're gonna be like, yeah, let's let's just take that money. And what do they have to contractually do? Kill Give somebody. Her. Yep. So, so, secret stays safe. So she's the baddest she, bitch. She's so what does she do? Bitch, yep. bitch, she bitch. she reaches down, pulls that dinger, pulls his dinger in his uh who house out, <laughs> chops him off, feeds Ooh. it to the dogs, feeds it to the dogs, and says, let, let him, him bleed, bleed out. It. Oh man. <laughs> I'm telling you, this time around, it was just way more genius than yeah. the first time. I'm, and, I'm with you, dude. Yeah. And uh, get her tattoo. You know, you got to get the tattoo. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm glad. I'm glad I watched this for the, for this because yeah. it certainly turned my opinion around. Now, can I say something to you guys? I have never seen Hostel 3. I, I know that's not in for it's, Eli, but I've I'm afraid seen to watch it, it now because I always used to like that one more than part two. And <laughs> now here. It was a midnight movie for me. It was on Netflix. I was like, Hostel 3? Whatever. I, I bought it, it in, uh, bought it here in town two days before I was going to Vegas for a conference. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Hostel 3 is in Vegas, huh? I'll watch it. That was actually pretty entertaining. <laughs> I was entertained by it. Yeah. Right I, I haven't seen it, it, man. Right on. So, uh, okay, cool. Moving right along. The, coming up on, oh, the Green Inferno. Green Inferno Long was... Long gap, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he had acting gigs and yeah, producing got gigs. And, and producing, yeah. Yeah, he did a lot of things in between. Green Inferno was 2003, writ, or directed by Eli, and then written by Eli and Guillermo uh, Amadeo, starring his wife, uh, Lorenza Izzo, Ariel Levy, Aaron Burns, and Kirby Bliss Blanton. You want to go into this one? You want to tell us about a professor? Uh, I mean, we basically have activist students. What's the campus that we open up at? I, uh, I, I never do these synopsis because I can't remember the details. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. I was just because, yeah, I don't remember if they even name what it's like. Is. I was thinking like Columbia, but I'm They're not like, sure. Yeah, but yeah, we've, we've got a campus. Uh, we've got young activists. Who are and now uh, they call them SJWs? Yeah, social justice, social justice warriors. warriors um, who basically get involved with going to stop uh, the tearing down of was it technically rainforest? Yeah, yeah. Um, in an area to that protect it, this tribe. Yeah, that has this tribe uh, that is living there still, 
kind of not undiscovered because we can't really do that anymore like right. they did with these films decades ago i mean we right. kind of have every square inch of the earth charted yeah but un, uh but untouched yeah like that they they haven't seen modern technology yeah and so basically we have uh, our main character who is you know eli ross wife in yeah. real life uh who gets involved she's kind of a kind of a lost soul um we show her interactions on campus she's she's not really involved with anything and she gains interest with this group and basically hops on and travels with them and her dad is part of the un yeah so her dad's part of the un um who was todd oh yeah from that's right. hostel that's yeah, right too so yeah her dad's part of the un um a lot of a lot of millennial stereotypes in mm-hmm. this film you know certainly um again as a guy who works with millennials in campus ministry a lot of unfair stereotypes yeah. that certainly applies to some to some yeah, yeah certainly so that you get a lot of those laughs you know um so should i oh i, I was gonna it doesn't matter we basically get down there yeah and we come in and interfere with the construction group yep. uh we end up with a gun to the head yeah. of our main girl and they're all ready to let her go all basically in the name of, and this is where she kind of puts the pieces together of the sincerity of this group, that this is more about being internet famous than it is about cause. And the right. fact that her dad is UN. Right. They were willing to sacrifice her because they're like, oh, if it's her, yeah, then we'll get totally bailed. Yeah. yeah, and we'll get bailed out. So, yeah, there's, an, there's that interesting uh, kind of realization there um and it's like what did we what did we accomplish here and uh we take off you know they're all pumped they're celebrating on the plane she of course is visibly affected because she realizes that this group as for all that they're preaching about didn't give a shit about her and this film is all serious and on on point yeah to this to this yeah to this point yeah yeah and so then our plane goes down Ooh. Which I have to put Brutal. out there is literally one of the best plane crash scenes ever. Yeah. yeah. And the, the plane was attacked. Am I remembering that correctly? Or does it just the guy said it, he guy said he wouldn't be surprised if the plane was sabotaged. Yeah. And yeah. they kind of leave it at that because all we see is the engine up front blow. We see a, a spark or something and then smoke and which leads yeah. us, you know. Yeah. So he says, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they sabotaged the engine and they blew our plane down or shot yeah. our plane down or whatever. And so in that aspect, it's easier in many ways if you're going to dispose of these kids to do it that way than yeah. when they're all standing there with their cell phones taping you doing it. So that's kind of, I think, left up to debate. But then, you know, the plane goes down and, and who we have left, as we all know, deals with the very people they were there to protect yep. who come out uh began throwing darts in him from a distance knocking him out and we basically awake uh hogtied on their little canoes yep. as they row back to their uh their base their home area yeah and they're man that is an oh shit moment they oh, are all in red skin I mean, just so scary. And this goes back to that feeling in Hostel. Yeah. Where it's just like, where are you going, dog? I, nobody's here. There ain't nobody to help me. And I think nowhere. that's a, it. Going where are through you all going? <laughs> nowhere. Well, going through all these movies tonight that you've looked at from Eli Roth, he has a very, very out there message. Yeah. He's like, he's not burying the lead at all. You look at this, like you just said, nobody's here to help you. Hostel 2, Hostel 1, nobody's here to help you. Cabin in the woods. You're isolated out here, and you've already alienated the the townsfolk. Nobody's here to help you. 
His next movie coming up. You're home alone, son. Nobody's here to help you. Like, Eli Roth really likes to separate people from... Yeah, and the disrespect of class. Right, exactly. Yeah, which I think is very interesting because he doesn't make it the center of the films. It's always just kind of there. Yeah. And then, like, we got that shaman with the boar tusks in his nose, Ooh. and he's yellow. He's so scary. And the witch lady, yeah. the, like, the, the, the priestess lady Shit's is intense. yellow. Yeah. It's one of those things where if you will allow yourself to be affected by it, because it's just as easy to not get that into it at that point. Again. Because the, 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 the presentation isn't like the films that it's paying tribute to. These the, the films of the past, the Italian cannibal films, felt much more dangerous. Yeah. Whereas this is doesn't is in that aspect because we all know where we're at at this point. Those films are, you know, nearly 40 years old. Yeah. And so that element of danger isn't there, but if you're willing to let the storytelling happen, it still is. Yeah. I mean, that's very jarring to have all of them freaking out, bringing you up into their area. And then of course they take the sweet guy, Jonah, mm-hmm. you know, the sweet chubby guy who likes the main actress, but she likes the main activist guy. Uh, and of course they take him and, you know, rip his eye out, chop, That's brutal. chop his limbs off. I was really oh, impressed bro. with that. Yeah. To me, that was yeah. the high mark for the movie in terms of if you were tuning in for the gore, yeah. you know, that's kind of paying tribute to that's a pretty brutal shit. Yeah, really well, that's is. the thing. Cause you go right from the, uh, we were, we've talked about it in other episodes. You, you go right from all the activist stuff to plane crash. They get taken in. We get a few down moments of them being transported. And then right to Jonah being ripped apart. Yeah, it's like, oh my goodness, like yeah. that, and it was so effective, dude. I the, like the that. cuts, yeah. the the cuts, the way the limbs look, all the effects were practical, or at least they looked mm-hmm. practical right there on the spot. I mean, there wasn't anything that was bad about that. Like when she scoops that eye out of him oh, and yeah. it eats that eye, and then cuts his tongue off. I mean, seriously, like you're sitting there watching that, going, oh, like there's that feeling of dread. Yeah, because you know. That everybody in the cage is watching. And I know it's like coming to them. Oh, too. yeah. It's like, we next. Yeah. We ne- and I love that about it. The other thing I liked was uh, the piked people when they entered the village. Oh, it's yeah. a, you get that kind of um, cannibal holocaust throwback kind of yeah. kind of feel. But the piked people basically let you know from the get-go, nah, you don't come around here fucking around. This is what we do to people like you. Yeah. It's like, it's we, alive. yeah, we, you're, you're not getting out of here alive. I thought that was... Uh, I really like that. I thought that was kind of awesome. Um, and then the way that the the um, everybody was treating them, like grabbing their, they were petting oh, them, yeah, yeah. they were politely petting them, like oh oh look look whatever these people oh look they're petting them, and then all of a sudden it gets more aggressive. They start pulling out hair and they start jabbing them, and uh, like it was really uncomfortable. He did a really great job of making you feel uncomfortable with these people, and or with the with the tribe. And I thought that was really neat too. Because you get to see, like, in a matter of what is it? It's forty minutes. I think we I think it's forty minutes before we get into the rainforest. So in that first forty minutes, you kind of get some character development on her of who she was and who she thinks she is. Mm-hmm. And then that last forty minutes, he wipes away everything. Sure. You think you're activist. <laughs> you think you want to be yeah. here. You think you're doing good for our people. And then that last hour is like you don't know shit. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed that about this movie, man. One one thing I want to mention before the turn here, because there's gonna be lots to talk about with the second half of the film. But uh, you know, they're they're out there, they're on their way out, they think they're doing the right thing, they've got all these weird interactions. And uh one yeah. thing that cracks me up is when they're they're riding on the canoes and they see that Jaguar and he goes, Oh yes, 
this is a good omen. And that one chick goes, oh, that's so going to be my next tattoo. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, talk about stereotypical, you know? Yeah. But then that stereotype, all these things come into play. So can I, this is the twist. This is when the film changes, all right? Because I watched this time to pinpoint it. There's a girl. We have foreshadowing yeah. again, yeah. as we have in all these movies, yeah. about the girl who needs her medication. Yeah. And they take her bags, and she's like, no, 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 I need my medication. Yeah. No, you'll get it. You'll get it back. Okay, needs her medication. Well, they're in the cage. Well, she's got, like, irritable bowel syndrome. She needs that medication. So she goes in the corner and takes a giant shit in the corner of the cage. And you're like, wait, what? It's that movie now? Like, this girl's taking a dump in the corner of the cage? Which makes sense. Which one of you, if even if you didn't have IBS, wouldn't get bubble guts from being so scared and nervous right. that you would have to take a dump? Yeah, I, right. think, okay. I think it's impressive she even had the, the cognitive awareness to pull her pants down a little right, bit and pick exactly. a corner instead of just going yeah. in it. But from what ensues this point on, it goes from being a very serious cannibal film mm-hmm. to a grindhouse film. Well, and also too with those originals, they were they were very in your face and confrontational. Yes, and this almost becomes funny at times. Yeah, which is my biggest complaint with the film. For a guy who loves those originals so much, he's kind of flippant, you know, through the second half. I mean, it's fine once you understand it, but and I want to make this point here. Because there's been seven years between... No, no, no. What year did this come out? 16? Uh, 13. 13. Okay. There's been... But it didn't get theaters till 14. Right. Right. There's been seven years between Hostile 2 and this movie. And we thought Eli Roth had grown up. But Eli Roth is still <laughs> a trauma frat boy. Yeah. And this film proved that. And it carries on into Knock Knock. And we'll yeah. talk about that too. Right. You wanted the serious cannibal movie. I wanted the serious cannibal movie. And I was a little disappointed at the turn initially, but later I came to embrace it. Right. But it just cemented, and we'll talk about it in the next film too. Eli Roth is always going to be a frat boy. It appears so. Throwing yeah. out frat boy humor. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, but but the fact that this is a strong film for the most part. Mm-hmm. But so we'll talk, let's talk about what happens. After the shitting in the cage. Well, one of the things I think is interesting, and this is, uh, I, I read this, and uh, if I'm wrong, and please somebody feel free to chime in and correct me, wrong. but all of the, uh, no, no, all of the uh, tribes people that were yellow were actors, and all the people that were red were actually in the oh. tribe. That's why our, okay. our main woman was sure. yellow, and she was over the top. Sure. Our main guy, the guy with the big, Tusk. He yeah, the Tusk guy. He was over the top, like in everybody else, oh. all, all the red. Yeah, everybody that was red, they were they they looked the same, they act the same, and those were our actors. Those were the ones that had our big lines. Those were the more er, that had a lot to do with the movie. Movie, you see what I'm saying? Everybody else was kind of in the background, passing things around. These she was performing the rituals. She was performing the yeah the thing, and you could see it the way he had already envisioned these people in his head or the way that they built those characters sure. versus the people that you're seeing in every other step and mm-hmm. every other facet. You didn't see 30 people that look like her. Right. You you didn't see any other person that looked like the guy with the big bone coming out his nose. Yep. So you're right. Eli Roth is just kind of like, yeah, but these are my characters. 
series. And right. I, th- I thought that was neat. Plus, you're talking about the, the turn he takes. You've got little things that start poking up, like the um, where they test the women. Mm-hmm. That's a grindhouse. Which was still that was still serious. Though. No, but that but, but it was yeah. like, it was that grindhousey. Yeah. Ha, 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 you know, right. kind of kind of moment to him, man. And you were like, oh, because we've already foreshadowed what happens in these small tribes. They're gonna cut off. Man, why can't I say that? I say the f word like fifty times. Like they're gonna cut off for clitoris. Like that's what's gonna happen. Female genital mutilation, yeah, which we show right. in the foreshadowing. Yep. Uh, right, right, pictures. right, right. And, Speaking, which were oh. real. Yeah, that's a real problem. <laughs> right. And then um, you got little things like, oh, girl slit in her own throat. Oh. And then they they shove the weed down her throat. No, you're, you're Go getting ahead. so far no, ahead. No, it's not. It's <laughs> happened in progression. Because, no, no, no. Before that, before she cuts her own throat because she's eating and sees her friend's tattoo oh, okay, on okay, flesh yeah. in the bowl. Okay, okay. And that's why. She, so the girl that was going to get yeah. the jaguar tattoo yeah, 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 gets yeah. killed. Yeah. And then as they're all eating, you know, yeah, whatever okay. they gave them, they look. And they see her tattoo, and they see the kids playing with the tattoos, like mm-hmm. putting them on their putting yeah, them on their back them on and, themselves yeah, 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 and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's where we're at now. <laughs> well, and the stress relief to clear clear his mind. What the hell? Oh. Uh, will you? Will you? Can you tell the audience? What yeah, the stress. At relief? one point, we've got some action going on in the cage, and we turn to the guy, and everybody's like, like, "What are you doing?" Our main leader of the the social justice warriors. And he's rubbing one out right there in front of everybody. Jaying off. Yeah. They're like, what are you doing? He's like, I got to keep a clear head. We're, basically, if we're going to if we're going to get out of here, I have to have my mind right, and I have to relieve the stress and the pressure. Just, and that perfectly illustrates, like, huh? What the movie is? Like, why that? Like, we did At not need point. that. Yeah. And that's exactly what I mean. After she shits in the cage is when all this happens. Yeah. yeah. So that first 40, 45 minutes, it's serious and scary and real. Yeah. yeah. That all changes after she shits in the cage. Mm-hmm. That's the turning point. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got the J off. You've got... So after yeah after she cuts her own throat, you're right, they stuff her full of weed. And what happens? They, they cook her. They cook the woman's body that they've stuffed with the weed. And then the villagers start getting high. <laughs> And pass it out, not paying attention. So we think it's okay to make a run for it. You can't say they at least didn't know how to have a good time. That's right. And then they make a run for it, but we find out the ones that are high have the munchies. So they start eating the guy without cooking him. I love that, dude. He takes off running. They they swarm him and just pull him apart. At one point, there's a little girl who runs out from the crowd, and she just has a leg in her arm. She's like, she's holding it so deep. And that's the point where I'm laughing at the cannibal movie and my family's going, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Of course. Um, one thing we forgot to mention is that we find out that it's all a lie. They weren't going there to protect yeah, yeah, the yeah. place. They weren't. It, it, they were going to get internet famous, but Alejandro, the main leader guy, had already made an agreement with another logging group. That, so Car- go, yeah, Carlos had made one. Yeah, the Carlos other guy, made yeah. Deal. So we're going to go in and we're going to make this group look bad and we're going to make you internet famous. But then we're going to come in with our company. Yeah, tomorrow. you're going to deter them so we can get in here first and get yeah. the contract. Yeah. Right. Which was a great twist. Um, so, yeah. So we get the escape. Um, some people get away. Some don't. Um, that ant scene was bad. Why use, like, CGI ants? Yeah, that was unfortunate. That After was... all that had been accomplished, that, that uh, really 
change the tone. But the way they, but the way they set him up by tying him up there and like breaking his limbs, mm-hmm. you know, like with the guy smacking him and hearing the crack, watching him break his limbs so he couldn't possibly move. Sure. That was a good that setup. Was, yeah. I'm with well, you on yeah, that. Yeah, it's like baking a perfect cake and then pooping on it. <laughs> it's right. like you had it. You were right there. Yeah. You remember when they put all those CGI bees into the the remake? Not of- the bees. <laughs> Not the bees. <laughs> you bitches. No, but seriously. <laughs> yeah. But I'm with it you. Was that that, it was unfortunate. It was yeah. unfortunate. Um, and then she the she gets the little girl who helps her because she plays her little necklace flute right. for her. But we talk about what happened. And a human connection. That. What a group that we think we cannot interact with, sure. That there's no hope to escape because that's a a completely different world that you know you can't there's no way you can reason with as you know that's yeah. that's a, a nice little moment yeah but before that even Heather happens we get we watch them lather justine up for her ritual yeah like they're there they're sharp they've been sharpening up the the hooks all day they lather her up in the white they've got her ready to go rets to go Ret to go. got her got her face painted up got this primitive Bra and panties on her just to whip them off and cut her lady junk off. And, <laughs> and then Parker Posey comes in. Hi, <laughs> freshman biggie. Surprise. And then what, what does happen, though? Um, a guy comes running into the village, and he has a head, a severed head, from the new workers oh, yeah. that are close by. And so the village all runs to go fight them. She shows up, Americano, United Nations. She's got uh-huh. a busted cell phone that she's acting like still works, and she gets rescued. Comes back, and she protects the tribe. Still, that was the thing that I didn't quite. I she was she lied about the tribe in an effort to keep the bulldozing out of there. Still, yeah. And can somebody tell me why? She was the only authentic one. She's she didn't. She didn't person. belong with the group that she joined to do that with. I don't know. Because she understood that all that they put through, put those that group through, wasn't about what our society understands it as. You know what I mean? Like it's just a different understanding, and and what she set out to protect, even if it tried to harm her, her mission was still authentic and more yeah. important. Which I thought was a fairly intelligent twist to put in there sure. for a movie that it kind of went kind of low at a few points in the <laughs> right. second half. It's like we went very serious very silly yeah and then like interesting ending right? yeah so what about let's talk about the credit scene right real quick before we move the on credit surprise explain that to us did you see the credit surprise in terms of the like the listings of the movies and no yeah. um the phone call that she got i can't remember so i feel like i remember this popping up and here's it and it's like Oh, this is hey, this is Alejandro's sister. This is Alejandro's sister. Oh, yeah, yeah, with the, the picture of him yeah. from satellite the satellite. They zoom in, yes. And now it's his face and his body is all black. And she's like, We need to talk about this. And they zoom all the way in, and he's got the black body just like the guy we saw. Yeah. And he's looking up at the that was neat. Yeah. So don't know where they're going with that. Set up for Green Inferno too. <laughs> Inferno harder. It's called <laughs> How Green Was My Valley. <laughs> Where the green fern grows. <laughs> Can't keep a good dog now. Fern Gully 4. <laughs> All right. So that's Green Inferno. I did like, though, that he lists the movies. His favorite yeah. Yeah. Italian cannibal movies like in the credits. Deep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving into Knock Knock 2015, directed by Eli Roth, uh, written by Eli Roth, Guillermo Amadeo. And then uh, Nicholas Lopez, who's new, who came on 
the writing. Starring uh, Colleen Camp from Clue. Uh, you know her from other shit, but I like her from Clue. Um, Ana de Armas. Uh, Lorenza Izzo, uh, his wife. And Boy. then the, uh, I don't know, one of the, the most influential actors of our generation. Uh, <laughs> um, Ted Theodore Logan, man. Keanu Reeves. Keanu, there's a bomb. There's a bomb on this bus. Now, guys, you got to understand, we have covered Knock Knock before on this show. So you can go back through and listen to a full coverage of Knock Knock. So we're only going to barely cover it for this show, what we're doing right now. Who covered Knock Knock? Didn't we? No, we never have. I have full. I have a full is, set. This of, is the Midwest Monsters podcast. <laughs> oh, it must be one of the other seven podcasts yeah. that I'm on. Yeah, I'm sorry. I have a full set of notes that was written up on this movie before I watched it <laughs> yeah, three days say, ago. I, this was never, my first time. Oh, for real? Wow. Sorry about that, guys. No time wasted. On well, me. check us out, man. So yeah, here's what happens. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, please give us a synopsis because oh. this movie um, scarred me so much that I all my notes are from memory. Right on. I really did. So here's what happens. Um, we have Keanu Reeves, and Keanu Reeves is an architect, and he lives with his wife, who is an artist, and their two children in a palatial neighborhood. Um, his wife and children go away for the weekend. He's got some work that he needs to catch up on. He's alone at night. It's raining very hard, and all of a sudden, there's a knock, knock on the door, and he opens the door, and it's two fairly young, attractive women. And they come in and proceed to make themselves at home. They're asking to use a phone. They're asking to get a hold of people. He calls them an Uber to try to get them to go where they're going. And it starts to become this slow game of seduction. And um, Keanu Reeves is put to the test. You know, he's a look, man, you've got this coming up. And uh, what the test ultimately is, is you can sleep with us or you can't. Or you don't, not you, or you can't. And Keanu Reeves uh, gives in to temptation. Uh, he gives in to temptation. And then he wakes up the next day in these uh, sophisticated, felt, young, attractive girls that he had dealt with the night before that he was ultimately seduced by have turned into um, Mickey Mouse versions of themselves. Crazy scam. Yeah, literally, literally. Um, and then it's the craziness that ensues from there. Uh, thoughts? I knew that watching this with my fiance was going to be a bad idea <laughs> because I, as we joked about, I was going to be in trouble for what Keanu Reeves did. <laughs> I got in trouble watching the matrix for that dude. Don't worry about it. Like, no, all jokes my same. wife was like, he chose the what pill you're grounded. <laughs> I ain't mad at you though. Yeah, that's, that's the fun. That's, I mean, that's the joke behind it. But like, um, so there's an easy temptation to compare this film to funny games. Um, that was one of my first instincts. Yeah. I'm talking to my friend Travis at the record store. I loaned it to him. I came back and uh, he takes a very sophisticated view of films. And I threw that out there and he goes, well, not really. Think about it. Keanu Reeves makes a choice. Yeah. Funny games does not have that. Yeah. Now, sure, it's got the isolation of funny games. It's got, like, the you-can't-get-away-of-funny-games. But he makes a choice. And that's the ultimate terror of this film for anybody our age is that, what are you going to do, dog? 
Well, Keanu makes the way I wrote it down here is he makes three bad decisions. One, he fully lets them into the house in the first place. He's a married man, but he still has good in him. He wants to bring them in out of the rain. That's the first bad choice. Two, which automatically lets, can get you in trouble for anyone who wants to ruin your name. Oh, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. And say, oh, he he attacked us, he raped us, Any, whatever you want to do, just by letting them in. I mean, hell, that's because yeah, I was like the you, hood viewer watching this when they were saying, "Well, we don't, our phones are ruined. Can we use your computer?" I was like, "No, no, you can't. <laughs> right, you can yeah. turn your ass around." Well, and and that just, sorry, that's the difference between Wilson growing up hood and us growing up in the country. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, well, and that's the same thing. Like that's the whole premise of Wild Things. You okay. know, like literally, like nobody knows what nobody knows what's happening. You know, it's. And all of a sudden, it's these, this girl's word against this grown man. So, yeah. the second bad decision, letting them get undressed and put their clothes in the dryer. Oh, that's bad, bad decision number two, right out the gate. And he even says, I'll get you some robes. And he does. So, that's bad decision number two right there. Bad decision number three, letting them touch you in the first place, even in a friendly way. They start to get very friendly with him and very comfortable. Like, they, they're talking inappropriately off. Right out the gate. Well, not right out the gate, but they build up to that very quickly. Sure. And then they start touching him, even in a friendship way. Bro, one, two, three. That's three strikes right there. Like, you've already fucked up. You should have locked yourself in your bedroom and just been like, all right, the Uber's here. Go. Yeah. You know, like, it'll be here in five minutes. I'm going in here. I'll see you later. Let's wait on the porch. I'll yes. bring my cell phone out. Let's get you a ride. So any, anything other than what he did. So, I mean, that's it's ultimately he's put to those choices right away, and he made bad decision one, two, three, which ultimately led to immoral decision, which leads to his demise. Well, not yeah. fully demise, but the demise of his character and who he is and what he's about. Sure. And sure. four, his hair. Yeah. <laughs> Cut it. And his acting. What do you do? What do you do? Um, I like how none of us can do impressions of anybody, but yet we just Nicholas Cage and Keanu Reeves all night. <laughs> They're the same one. <laughs> That's what I do. It's like not the bees. Put the bunny down. <laughs> what do you do? No good. Anyway, um, I really thought the film was clever. It was, and I thought it was, it was really well made. Um, I. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again because it really did induce some dread, some fear. <laughs> yeah. Me. Let me let me read the summary to you real right, quick. Right. It's brief. Two young girls come to the home of a businessman whose family is away on his birthday. They seduce him, and afterwards, however, they tie him up, torture him, and trash his house. That is Death Game from 1977, starring Colleen Camp, Camp right, right. who comes to the door. This is a... Straight up remake. Yeah. Um, really? Colleen Camp produced this movie and she yeah. was in Death Game. And the other girl, Sandra Locke from the original, produced it because yeah. I've seen the original and I was sitting there thinking, I was like, like obviously this is different, but it's like something just about this seems familiar. And it, and it, I looked it up and started reading it. I actually found it in her user review where somebody said, This is a straight up remake. It even <laughs> has the two girls from the original producing it and one of them is in it. Lobby. And I was like, holy shit. Right. And uh, the guy, which you would probably recognize from um, Wes Anderson movies, uh, Seymour Cassell. He's uh, the guy mm -hmm. that plays in uh, Keanu Reeves' role in that uh, original. But with, with this, I thought that it's kind of pedestrian, but still very entertaining. Yeah. Like for a guy who has kind of had his calling card be, you know, splashes in this genre. 
uh, with all these throwbacks to all the movies we love and stuff. This was kind of a departure, mm-hmm. which seems to be leading up to what he's just finished shooting, which is the Death Wish remake. Oh, I didn't know about that. With Bruce Willis. Yeah. So it's like, I'm starting to wonder if there's going to be as much horror interest. I don't know if maybe Green Inferno left a bad taste in his mouth yeah. and he's he's wanting to get paid now. I'm not sure. But with this, I found the first half to be much more entertaining than the second. I was kind of just worn out and not that interested. I was like, okay, so everybody here is shitty. You're going to ruin this guy's life over something you tempted him into doing. Yeah, it's not profound. It's just like, let's get this over with like it. I mean, there was some really interesting scenes. I was messed up with the paper mache. I mean, I don't know if we're wanting to race through sure. through it now. Yeah, but yeah. I do love the guy that we have from Green Inferno. The one we watched get his eyes plucked out. His role in this. Yeah. Yeah. Bitch, I'm from Oakland. <laughs> you barking up the wrong damn tree. <laughs> not the one. I know some ghetto ass hoes when I see them. <laughs> That's so good. He's so good at this. So good. I even rewound that and took a video of it with my phone. I was laughing so hard at it. (laughs) But then he accidentally gets killed. Like, and they they don't, and they make a choice. And I thought that was the strongest acting in the movie by anyone was Keanu Reeves to his credit, where he's basically telling him, you have a choice. Like, don't do this. Like this guy doesn't have to die. Call nine one one. Yeah. He's pleading with him. Like you can have an out. I, I, you don't have to get in trouble. Please don't let this happen to him. Um, but but by the end, the I will say this. The ending agitated me for two reasons. Okay. One, the usage of the music. Come on. Fight Club, Pixies, Where Is My Mind, Wayne. Of all, all the songs, that's one of the most memorable for this generation to close a movie with. So now all anybody's thinking is a better movie yeah. while they're seeing it. And then the very uncomfortable vandalism of the house that we get to watch the children and wife walk into and it, and it rolls and it's just like i didn't get anything out of this other than just watch a bunch of people be shitty right on. i mean it was entertaining but yeah. it's just one of those ones where i'm like i don't want to go back and watch that a lot Mm-mm. right on see i think that uh keanu reeves had one of the one of the best pieces of acting that i've ever seen him do in this movie because for one for for a, a few moments I thought you got to see a real, real man. He's like, it's fucking free pizza. You dangled it in front of like, he's just pissed. He's mad. He's like, and you want to kill me? Like, I mean, just the whole time he's yelling. Yeah. You, yeah. Like the whole time he's trying to justify, like he's going through all those stages that quick. He's trying to justify. He's angry. Why are you doing this to me? He's pleading everything that he's going through right there. Like, any other piece of acting that he did in this movie, you know, like earlier on when he's talking about being a DJ and liking music, that's whatever. But those pieces right there, when it's free fucking pizza, you know, like that's real. I mean, that felt realer than anything else in this movie, especially any of the performances of the girl, which I didn't think were bad, but he killed it right there. He knocked it out of the park and going, this is it. Like this guy fucked up. He knows he fucked up. And now he's, he thinks he's paying this ultimate price for it. He's going to have to pay this ultimate price for it. And he's justifying every way he can. You were wrong. I was right. In most movies, it's please let me go. Please don't do this. This guy's trying to justify his actions, which I think is more real than, oh, my God, please let me go. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, I really I feel like that. He's yeah, trying to reason totally. with them. So I, I, I thought that was just amazing. I thought it was a good, a good scene. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
It's definitely some intense stuff. The, the yeah. Facebook live feed with him tied up. So, yeah. So let's talk about the frat boy ending. Yeah. Um, which is what you get. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's not as over the top as Green Inferno. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say you only get the frat boy stuff for the last 15 minutes. Using where is my mind. He yeah. knows that's cliche. Eli yeah. Roth knows that. He knows that's a joke. Um, the Facebook live feed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like he gets just enough strength. You know, everyone's like, what the fuck? You know, my kids can see this. What's your problem? You know, unfriended. Yeah. Yeah. Unfriended. And he, so like, and then when he goes to, when he tries to delete it, he hits like. Yeah. Then he likes it. Yeah. yeah. So come on. God Eli Roth. I just laughed at it. I didn't laugh. When I, was, <laughs> I didn't laugh when I watched the movie at it, but I just laughed recounting it. Eli Roth is still a frat boy. Right. And then in the end, when the family comes in and sees the vandalized house, what's the last words? The little kid says, Dad had a party. <laughs> and it's like, man, you took this film that was pretty heavy and serious, and you just made a joke out of it in the last yeah. 15 minutes. Well, he just literally was like, serious, serious, serious. Well, bro, yeah, and you, right. And like I said, tying it into Green Inferno and the way it ended, Eli Roth is still just a trauma frat boy. Well, bro, and if you want to, you can say frat boy or not, but literally he threw a. He watched. Keanu Reeves had a threesome with his wife mm-hmm. and another little. I mean, like, that's a, a frat boy trope. You see yeah, what I'm saying? Sure. Like. It was all kind of, it was that he was still smoking pot at however old he was while he was working on his architecture, you know, like in the room. So, I mean, there were little traipses of, I see what you're talking about the last 15 minutes, but it was always still kind of there. Right, still there. You know, and then I think the the flip when he walks in the next morning and the girls are flipping pancakes back and forth across the room and the dog's on the table eating her cereal out of the bowl and they're talking shit. And I I mean, there's a lot of that. Yeah, there's just a whole lot of that there. I mean, I, I'm not doing the noble thing for the podcast here. Right. Am I the only one when I was watching this where I thought, these girls look young? Like, did did you guys feel that? Sure. I mean, obviously, they're pretty. They're when they were, like, lying girls. and saying they were, like, 16, I was like, that's believable. Right. Yeah, but when they first came to the door in the rain, I went, oh, no. Oh. No, 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 no. Oh, no, baby. What no. did you do? <laughs> you <laughs> cannot. Like, I just look at them. I was just like, no, you can't come in here you are young. Yeah. That yeah. was my first thought. Your, your thought was just jailbait. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I, my sympathy is pretty low on yeah. that because like, if I'm buying this as a viewer, I'm like, dog, you are too damn old for that. And you know it. Yeah. Well, like, and the thing you is are running a risk. We do the whole thing where it's like, uh, he get they come in and he was just like, Oh, you said you were 21 and whatever. He's like, I'm 15 or they say that they're young. And then that at the end of the movie, part on their, on their part. And then at the end of the movie, it's just like, Oh, I just turned 22. Oh, and I'm 18. You know, just kind of, this is like, we didn't need that. Like, we already know that you're yeah. not the ages you said you were. These like, girls probably live somewhere around Los Angeles and do this for fun. They take very, a cab to a random neighborhood. Yep, very funny games moment. Where right. He goes to drop them off at their house. I'm like, oh, don't you want to come in and meet our parents? And then he pulls off, and they, that's not their house. No, they, not they at all. They walk away. Like, right, they oh, walk right over to the playground. Man, and yeah. And see, and that's the other thing. Like, you could even still believe their story. Yeah, it's like no, no. We're flight attendants. We're flight attendants. We have a couple of days in town. We're hooking this up. Mm-hmm. You know, like even if you, I mean, that's still a believable story in that realm, which I don't think is true. But like they still set themselves up as characters, perfect. But you also find out they were spying on him. Oh yeah, oh that is true. I did, I forgot about remember, that. Remember because they were like he's monster, monster, and, and he's just like, were you kids. spying on me? Were you watching me and my kids? <laughs> I can't. I'm sorry. Not the bees. 
<laughs> it's Keanu Cage, man. <laughs> I owe you a 10-second car. <laughs> <laughs> is that your Paul Walker too? Are you serious? Cause, yeah, because he's Nick Cage and Keanu Reeves. He's the next one. God rest his soul. All right, so let's wrap up. Knock, knock. Dude, I got to tell you, I love the scene at the end where they grab the dog and they take the dog with them. <laughs> Steal the dog. Just like, you ain't even worthy of the fucking dog. I'm they taking your dog. Take you play out, dude. I love that. Well, I was a DJ. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, oh, man. All right. You can bust my eardrums. So that's the uh, so that that's his directing cash. Yeah. Uh, do we want to just run through and talk about produced by anything? Yeah, just mention. Yeah, yeah. the movies that he's. Yeah. So anybody got a list of that produced by? Uh, I can pull that up real quick. Uh, we know that he did the uh, Cabin Fever remake. Mm. You want to talk about that for a second? Boy, I watched that one earlier this week. Uh, so what they did was they, they, they decided to make remake Cabin Fever and try, their goal was to make it less funny and more scary. And if you think about it, it could be a scarier movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Certainly. They didn't do that. They did not do that. They did not do that. <laughs> yeah. I like how you keep repeating that. They did not do that. They did not so do that. So basically all they did was took out the funny parts of the script Replace it with acting that was so bad it was funny, and didn't make it any scarier. So that's what I've got to say about the Kevin Bieber remake. I'll skip that one. It's literally shot for shot, script for script, minus really? the funny parts. Right literally, on. you know that part where she says, "Hey, that man wanted our help and we lit him on fire." It's yep. in there. And like it's well, literally it's lame. It's got eighty-five percent of the original script in it. I don't understand that. No. What about the stranger? Anybody watch The Stranger? I don't know if that is. Who's in that? Anybody? Is that where they say you were home? <laughs> that was the... Because <laughs> you were home. Uh, no, but his wife is in it. Okay. So, um, that takes you there. Uh, a clown. A clown. Clown's one. I watched Clown. Have either of you seen Clown? Have not. Nope. It's okay. It's worth, it's worth checking out just for what it is. But a uh, guy... Um, finds this old clown suit and he fills in for his son's birthday party because the clown canceled on him. Come to find out the clown suit is cursed and it sticks to him because it's made of this like old demon skin. So I'll never watch it again. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting. Uh, one of my favorites, the sacrament love the sacrament, which we Uh, did cover. We did cover extensively on the Ty West episode. Yeah. But, uh, we, we've talked about our gripes. It's a well-made film. It's a well-written film. It's a well-directed film. Yeah. Eh, a little too much of a rip-off. This of, is Jim Jones' story. Yeah, Jim Jones' just story. Just it. Without that one was my complaint. So, no, I, I think everyone should watch The Sacrament. Last Exorcism? Last, yeah, I was about to. That's a movie I love. That's wild. I've only seen it once. Oh, for real? And I'm kind of scared to revisit it. But I've got it on Blu-ray. Um, but that's a movie I love. Boy, that ending. Woo! Woo! Uh, then we have uh, Eli did his Eli did his piece in uh, Grindhouse. Thanksgiving, oh, yeah, the trailer. Thanksgiving. It's supposed to be getting made. Oh. Is it really? Yeah, but, if, but I've heard that every year since right since Grindhouse came out. God, since I saw it on, yeah, just watch Blood Rage. It's a nice Thanksgiving slash. <laughs> uh, Two thousand one Maniacs. That's right. That's oh, he's pretty strong. We've covered that one too. Yep, on a mash. That's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful movie. Love that. Right on, man. That's really what I've got for like producer, producer okay. credits. And if you watch special features on uh, 
I don't know. Everything. Any 10 horror movies. Uh, he'll probably be on five of them. Yeah. He was on uh, The Wicker Man. Just watched yeah. for this. He was on one of the special features for that, talking. Uh, just always. like uh, Torso. I put that on a couple months ago. And who's the main guy for that? Him. Talking about the 70s Italian horror film. Really? Jallo. Yep. Just running through it. Yeah. I mean, he he is... Uh, quite the resource for these films. I mean, he pops up on so much of those and seems to be just always willing and excited to be a part of any of sure. it. So, respect that. Very cool. Right on, man. Any final thoughts <clears throat> on Eli Roth? Um, I'm I'm anxious to see where things go. Not a big Bruce Willie fan, but uh, I'll check out a Death Wish by him. Sure. You know? uh, I love the original Death Wish movies, and when I heard of this, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. You're Why are you remaking this? That actually sounds kind of cool. Yeah. I'm not the biggest Bruce Willis fan these days, but with him directing it, we've got Willis in it, and it takes place in the south side of Chicago. Fun. And it's dealing with current times there. Okay. So it could, it cool. could be pretty cool. And sure. I just listened to Roth about a week ago on a podcast talking about, like, trying to make a smart approach to it so it doesn't become racially heated, that that's not he want, doesn't yeah. want the movie to have that point. It sounds pretty interesting, but that's definitely the next big thing for him. Cool. I think my final thoughts on Eli Roth is, I mean, all of his movies are definitely worth at least checking out. If you're a horror fan, if you if you got to, I mean, if the, you see him on the shelf, you've never seen it, I mean, definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. Pull from it what you will. Um, he's definitely a huge genre fan. Kind of like what I mean, more to the extent than even we are, sure. and a lot of people that we associate with. But I'm anxious to see if he makes a full transition or if he comes back around. I mean, this guy was part of the trauma camp, like we were talking about, and got him some horror movies under his belt, and talks about how much he loves Evil Dead and everything. And I'm just hoping we don't go the way of, all right, man. Well, now I'm doing this, and we don't get anything else from him. Because as much as we joke about him being a a frat, having his frat boy ties. He's still good. To, I mean, I still like his horror, man. He's still got good chops. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think that he also uh, is an interesting kind of gateway for sure new horror fans in terms of uh, watching his. And if you enjoy a particular movie, then you can kind of read up on it and say, oh, he pulled from this, this, and this. I want to go learn about those. Yeah. So I think that's kind of a, a fun approach to take to it, too, for a young viewer who may not have the patience for an older movie. Right. To then have that to yeah. kind of catapult off of, I think he's great for that as well. I'm still really fascinated by how many people hate him. It's, I think it's fun. Yeah, I'm like, is he really that hateable? Yeah, and what it is, it's a lot of people who are pretty much just like him in interest, mm-hmm. and they're just mad that he gets to make movies. Yeah, because he has good hair, nice well, cheekbones, and he makes cool hair. nerdy movies. Yeah. Well, Eli Roth is the guy that Eli Roth is the guy that other directors. Uh, whether they're older than him or not, kind of look back to or look towards or look up to even. You know, Eli Roth is... Quentin Tarantino Mm -hmm. has stated how much he loves Eli Roth in no fewer than 20 fucking interviews. Like, he called him the next big thing in horror. Like... Eli Roth also could have sold out about a thousand times over. Right. He just made his first studio movie with Death Wish. I mean, this guy's had every opportunity to cash in, but he doesn't. And he takes his free time to go do special features for Blu-rays and yep. not make a lot of money on the movies he directs. So, I mean, <coughs> call him a frat boy, whatever, hate on him. But he's legit, man. Hate, it or, hate him or love him. So, Right on. Well, wrapping up the Eli Roth episode. This has been a lot of fun. It's been a while since we've done a good, long director one like this. 
Um, I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Adner, joined by uh, Matt Chan, Professor Wagstaff. Stay scary, my friends. Dr. Mambo.